Welcome to Soundings Podcast. I'm Dudley Evanson, and for more than four decades, my husband Dean Evanson and I have created music and media that supports people and the planet. In our Soundings Podcast, we'll be sharing interviews with wisdom keepers we have met in the course of our life journey. To learn more about our activities and releases, please visit our website and blog at soundings.com. In this podcast, we'll be hearing an interview with Stephen Halperin from our Sonic Healing Meet the Masters video course. This is from Session 6, Sacred Chant and Relaxation. Stephen Halpern is an award-winning composer and keyboard artist whose healing music has helped millions worldwide to experience the benefits of deep relaxation and inner peace. Stephen combines ancient sound healing traditions with quantum biology and energy medicine to produce recordings that support meditation, stress management, and the healing arts. He has also released a series of subliminal recordings and has written several books on the field of sound healing. In his landmark research, he explored the connections between sound, consciousness, and healing using new technologies of brainwave biofeedback and Kirlian aura photography. In this interview, we'll learn about Stephen's discoveries of how music can help us achieve the relaxation response. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Stephen Halpern, and I've been working with music all this lifetime, and I know about and certainly others. Um, in my teenage years and up through college, I was pursuing music more as an avocation, just something that really grabbed my attention and really uh, allowed me to tap into a part of myself and a way to connect with other people that uh, I never really experienced before. It was something that came very natural to me. I started noticing when I played certain things, there would be responses that I would get that would be fairly predictable. And that got me into really exploring the power of music to create and affect specific responses. in 1965, I had an experience where in a high-energy jazz, uh, John Coltrane-type situation, the trumpet, which was my main instrument at that point, and I shifted gears and I had a radically different experience of energy and of music in which I became the instrument of the music and the music essentially happened of its own accord. Five years later or so, I had an experience in California in uh, Late 1969, I had an experience in the Redwoods outside of Santa Cruz. And in that experience, I really started hearing music that was radically different than any of the music I'd been playing in in jazz or rock or R&B before that. As things would happen, I found myself at a piano in a couple hours, uh, what was supposed to be a job interview, sat down at the piano and started playing music that I'd never played before. And when the people came into the room, they said, wow, this is incredible music. How'd you learn to play like that? And it makes us feel really relaxed and we feel very peaceful. Uh, Can you do more of that? That was really the beginning of how I got into this work. And as it turned out, I would come in contact with some scientists and they talked to me about, uh, we see the subjective responses of individuals relaxing and starting to meditate. Can you prove it? What is the objective data? And that's what got me back into doing 
research involving brainwave analysis, curling photography, etc., uh, biofeedback research, really exploring the fact that this was not a subjective response per, uh, exclusively, but they were objective realities, and that it was something that was working on just about anyone who listened. So that, that's how I got involved into uh, a deeper aspect of the healing powers of music. It was something that I've always been interested in. The first time I uh, read something about Edgar Cayce when I was probably about 13 years old, a little light went on in my head, and I knew that that was something that I was really interested in, but there was no information, there was no database to go read books about the healing power of music. So it was something that I would be checking out on my own. When I, when I started getting involved in researching, I wound up being invited to be part of a uh, graduate program. I was one of two students of, of many who were doing marriage and family counseling or humanistic psychology. I was involved in wanting to do some research to explore the healing powers of music. And through that, I um, was introduced to some of the leading scientists of uh, the era, including Dr. Marcel Vogel, Dr. Herb Benson, and uh, uh, Itzhak Bentoff, and a number of other people who had not only a, an interest in relaxation and healing and consciousness, but also in some cases had developed some of the uh, first devices of his kind to measure subtle energies, to measure chakras, to measure the relaxation response. And as a graduate student, I had access to this equipment for free, uh, which was a great reason to be a graduate student, and started doing some research. When, when we started rolling out the very first day, the responses were so extraordinarily different between the experimental music, essentially chakra suite, uh, the music that I was composing and, and playing, versus the highest rated classical music for relaxation from the music therapist's own studies blew them out of the water. And uh, it was a difference of night and day. And the, uh, uh, some of the uh, research associates said, this is no longer just your graduate research program. This is your life. You've got to tell other people about this. You've got to publicize this. And as a, um, a graduate student with no money, no training in business or anything else, that was rather daunting. And I had no idea that that indeed would be what my life would uh, revolve upon for the next you know, 35 years after. That was 1972. And um, uh, within a couple of years, I had recorded my first album and um, quickly found out that recording an album is the easy part. Bringing it to the market, bringing it to other people, that's where the rubber meets the road. That was a challenge, and that was starting in 1975. I, I, my first album was an album that I would bring to health food stores and bookstores and, and, uh, and record stores, and everyone would basically say either, you know, we don't have anything like this, so therefore we can't take it, or where do we put it if, we do, or if we're a record store and if we're, if we're a health food store? It's not a piece of uh, fruit or vegetable. Where do we put it? It's not a vitamin. I'd say, yes, it actually is. It's vitamins of the air. And would start understanding ways to describe the, the way that the music was a nutrient in the same way that light is a nutrient. And this was when John Ott and his book on light and health had recently come out. It was about the middle 70s when Herbert Benson's book on the relaxation response had just come out. So there was starting to be a little bit of a database and a, uh, uh, a mainstream 
public consciousness raising that this thing called relaxation was not something woo-woo. It was not something that had to be confined to new agers or hippies or uh, meditators, but something that everybody needed. It was something that uh, was a universal response. And there are many ways to get um, into and, and evoke a relaxation response. Music was one of the most ancient one of the most effective, and certainly one of the uh, most pleasant and enjoyable. One of the main things that I understood early on, and, and in fact in my earliest research, uh, set up a bit of an opposition compared to taking on the best classical music uh, versus my own for several reasons. Number one, that's what people were using to relax, and there was nothing else around. What I noticed as I would analyze the music that I was playing in my own meditation states and when I would get in the zone was that the music had no regular beat. It didn't have the same very mechanistic and very subscribed structure that classical music of whatever genre had. And uh, also there was a tonal aspect, that the tone was a thing. The instruments and the ways, the sounds of the instruments that I were drawn to for relaxation were very different than what classical music was generally using. For instance, the, uh, the Rhodes electric piano was essentially a series of tuning forks. Uh, musicologically and anthropologically, that would relate to Tibetan singing bowls. And of course, tuning forks, the pure sine wave, the tonal component, uh, rather than some of the uh, more sawtooth waves of violins and, and some of the other great instruments uh, that we find in the classical uh, orchestra, but not necessarily for relaxation. So that was one of the aspects. So the structure, the lack of recognizable rhythm or melody, and the fact that it worked more on an, on an, an immediate tonal basis. Uh, in other words, there was a cellular response happening with the music that was more of a direct communication between the tones and the energy of the music and the individual, rather than having to be something that was structurally analyzed by the listener's consciousness and intellect as we have as one of the main uh, uh, aspects of classical music, where people know the composition, they know what to expect, they're following along, and sometimes that gets in the way of the healing response, that the mind and the analysis, the left brain, shuts down the body's own response. Other big thing is that when we deal with relaxation, we assist the body in healing itself. One of the things that my music has always done is it effects and evokes the relaxation response. And as Bento's, uh, uh, excuse me, Benson's research demonstrates, when you evoke the relaxation response, it may not be always possible to know whether it's the music that's doing the healing or the body itself when we get into a relaxation response. And you know what? That's not really important. The bottom line is that healing occurs. Relaxation occurs. People uh, move into higher states of coherence and good things happen. Uh, subsequently, and by extension, we also know that there were things that happened on an electromagnetic basis. There are things that happen on a cellular basis with music that is more tonal than just rigidly composed. Uh, but there's always going to be a, uh, a resonance and an entrainment with any music. The difference is, is that entrainment in harmony with the natural vibrations and natural resonances of the body and the individual or something that is other. Are we looking at entertainment 
or entrainment, entrainment with the highest and best of, of an individual. And that's where I guess um, I've always focused my attention to evoke that state, to get the listener into the state where healing occurs and where there's a connection with one's higher self, with the universe, with the earth, with the Schumann resonance, with whatever we want to call it. There are so many different things that are happening simultaneously. And uh, as, as you probably well know, there's been so little money to research what exactly happens. And if you look at resonating a cell in a Petri dish or in a test tube, that's not necessarily the same thing that happens in our bodies. And there just has never really been a whole lot of money to research the healing powers of music. There's actually not even been that much research done on the unhealing and the, uh, the harmful effects of sound. But as you may know, there's certainly been some military applications for that. And there's typically more research going to the lethal weaponry of sound than the healing weaponry of sound. And um, you know that's just the way things are set up. That's why we all need to do our own work to find what works for us to bring us into that state of balance and harmony and, and healing. And then uh, things will take care of itself. The connection between relaxation and healing, from my perspective, is fundamental. And again, uh, one of my mentors on this is Dr. Herbert Benson and his research with the relaxation response and the larger constellation of uh, phenomena that occur when we get into a relaxation, uh, a relaxed state. Systems in the body begin to work more effectively in harmony. There's more effective energy flow. Uh, literally, the body marshals its own energetic resources more effectively. Again, uh, the other person from the same Massachusetts area uh, was Itzhak Bentoff, and his great book, Stalking the Wild Pendulum, pointed out that if you ask the body whether it would rather be in a harmonious fashion where we're breathing deeply and where the chakras are vibrationally in sync with each other or scrambled and everything random, the body would choose to be in a harmonious, deep breathing pattern. Most of the music, most of the situations around us tend to knock us out of that state. So the understanding is that because so much healing, not to say that all healing happens in relaxation, and not to say that the only music for healing is always relaxational, but 98% of the time, that seems to be true. And I, I like to go for 98%. You know, I'm not going to worry about the 2% that some of my competitors uh, like to focus on. Uh, I tend to work with what works for most people most of the time. And everybody's body is set up similarly. That we have individual differences in expressions of biological makeup, but there are also cellular and atomic and vibrational common denominators that hold through no matter who we are. The, the frequencies of atoms that make up a liver are the same for anybody. Somebody's liver might be bigger or smaller or diseased or not. Those are the individual expressions. But the basic aspect, if we're dealing with the uh, whole science of cymatics and science of radionics, we understand the frequency basis of life. And that's why when we, uh, what we understand is the relaxation response, it's where we are most natural, it's our most natural state, and it's where in our bodies, our human instruments can heal themselves, it's where we make our connection to source. And it's in that state that healing really occurs. All the rest of what we do is on one level window dressing. It's what, how we assist ourselves to get into the state where healing occurs. That's also, by the way, um, 
something that I learned early in my career, some of the uh, legal counsel suggested that would be politically correct and much less uh, apt to upset certain uh, political or regulatory agencies because you're not making a claim necessarily. And certainly uh, no one in the field of music therapy or sound healing uh, should be making claims that certain music heals specific diseases. The evidence doesn't support that at this point, and that's the sort of thing that would really be detrimental to the whole field and its growth uh, and where we are so far. Uh, we also can point out that people have been using music for, uh, for healing and for balancing for thousands of years. Just like acupuncture, you know, it, uh, Western medical science may take a while to do the testing to prove it, but the reality is we have real-life evidence that goes back so many thousands of years that there's no question that there's a reality here, and uh, why not use it? There's no downside. One of the questions that comes up all the time is, so how do you know if music is relaxing? And that's an easier question than how do you know if music is healing? Because healing is something that's typically going to take place over a longer period of time. But relaxation happens in the here and now, and that's the H-E-A-R as well as the here and now, the H-E-R-E. And that's very, very simple. You can observe your own body. The deep breathing reflex. If you're relaxed, your body is going to be breathing deeply. That will be breathing slowly. And you could notice if you're breathing deeply and slowly and regularly, as opposed to bringing sh breathing shallowly and randomly and quickly. So that's an easy thing. And when you listen to music, a lot of times it may be the drumbeat in the music or whatever, but you'll find yourself breathing more quickly. And one of the reasons for that is that the way our heartbeat is set up, it will literally entrain to the beat of the music. So there's, uh, if, if the music that we're listening to is faster than a relaxed, a relaxed heartbeat, which is typically like 44 to 60 beats per minute, what's going to happen is that your heartbeat will be beating 80, 90, 100 beats per minute. It's impossible to relax when your heartbeat is beating that fast. It's like trying to drive a car with a foot on the gas pedal and a foot on the brake pedal. It doesn't work. So that's one of the things I always point out. Observe yourself when you're listening to music. Also, if you find a pain in the back or the neck when you're listening to a piece of music, it's not a coincidence. It may be that something in the music is causing that. And that would be anti-relaxation, anti-healing for you. And at least at that point in time, change the music. Get it off. Uh, and then the, the other thing that I would recommend is on over a long-term basis, just notice how you're feeling when you're listening to music. If it makes you feel good, that's great. If it makes you feel more irritated, probably not a good sign for relaxation music. When we deal with classical music, one of the problems that I often have when I read articles or books that say, well, listen to Mozart or listen to Brahms or whatever, is one of the huge factors in any performance is the individual who is performing. So it's not just a composer who will uh, compose music of a certain uh, intention, but the performer will also bring his own vibratory reality. So that if you listen to five performances of a Mozart sonata number uh, 41, for instance, in, in D major, five different uh, performers may have five different versions. Which one is the real one? Which one is the best one? That's a whole different issue, but they're not all the same. So to just say, listen to Mozart or listen to uh, Brahms, 
is an, an it's like saying eat food. We're talking junk food, we're talking raw food, spoiled, you know, sprouts, whatever. There are, there are factors that need to be brought in that are often uh, ignored. Bottom line, though, people need to pay attention to their own response. One of the things that came up in my early research, uh, which was shocking, was that most people don't know what relaxation feels like. And then we think about it. In school, no one gets information and training on... Now we're going to take relaxation time. When I was in school, and I don't think it's happening now because some people think it's the work of the devil and some fundamentalists don't want anything dealing with relaxation, which is a physiological phenomenon taught in schools because they think it's new age. And then we point that in the Bible. It's pointed out, you know, be still and know. So relaxation is one of the most ancient of the psychotechnologies. People need to do more of it in their daily lives. And the beauty of it is that it's legal, it's non-addictive, you could do it for yourself, you could do it most anywhere, even a minute. And particularly for those of you who are type A individuals and don't have a lot of time, even one minute of taking a deep breath for yourself, with yourself, whether you're listening to music or just doing it internally, can have wonderfully healing benefits for yourself. And you could do this um, throughout the day and then as you find and bring in music that orchestrates that uh, feeling in yourself, that's a good thing to do. Bring more of that kind of healing music into your life. And that's certainly always been one of my uh, sound prescriptions for health and, uh, health and healing. So two things. Number one, as we were talking before, uh, one of the things about classical music or with any music, whether it's rock, pop, jazz, disco, music is a carrier wave for consciousness. So as, as we understand, one of the factors is, is the personal stress of the individual. Dr. John Diamond really put that on the map with his muscle testing and uh, behavioral kinesiology in the uh, mid-70s. But the other aspect, of course, is intent and intention. Why is the music being composed? Well, if you look at the writings of Mozart and Tchaikovsky, etc., and what was going on in their lives, some of the music that is the most depressing music known in the annals of classical music, for instance, by Tchaikovsky, Symphony Pathétique, was recorded as he was in the dying process. So those death vibes are in the music. A lot of classical music is about sexual sublimation, when, when the lives of the composers have been analyzed and cross-indexed with their compositions, you find that there's a lot of sexual sublimation, a lot of passion, a lot of psychological issues and emotionality coming out of music. And that's great, except if you try to relax to it. If you, it's not about healing. So again, using music for the appropriate purpose is an important consideration. And repurposing classical music for healing, in, uh, which was a, uh, a purpose that it was not designed for, is much more about marketing and making money uh, from people who don't know uh, why they should be buying something rather than about truth. There are no uh, legal uh, restrictions about selling music or relabeling uh, music. One of the problems that I often see is that people use the wrong music for certain purposes. So in the same way that if you're drinking three cups of coffee, that's typically not a good idea to do that before you, you try to get to sleep. In the same way, using music that is designed to uh, be very passionate and emotional and or emotionally cathartic, as a lot of classical music is, again, I went back and read the writings of the composers, why they would write certain music. And when I see these same compositions sold in stores nowadays as music for relaxation and healing, 
And they say, well, the public doesn't care, the public doesn't know. We sold 100,000 units of this uh, album, which was previously titled Orchestral Favorites, and now we call it Music for Relaxation. We just made, you know, a, a million dollars. That's, that's what's driving the industry, and that's, why, uh, that's what's really driving some of the, and undermining the integrity in the field. So uh, people need to understand that when, when they look at uh, the kind of music that they're listening to for relaxation and healing. Now, it's not to say that some classical music can't be healing. Of course, some of it is. But most of it was not composed for that. Therefore, that may not be your best choice when you're looking for music to help you relax and heal. Another aspect is that sometimes it's different strokes with different folks. There are some people that really do get relaxed when they're listening to the very rigid structures of Bach. And many other people think they're getting relaxed when they're listening to Bach. One of the things that I found out in my early research, which has been uh, uh, verified afterwards, is that if you take biofeedback readings, brainwave readings, uh, muscle tension readings from the people who are listening to some of the music, when they tell us that they are relaxed, their body is screaming, no, we're not. So these people are so out of touch with their own bodies and their own physiology that they wouldn't know a relaxation state if it came up and bit them on the elbow. And that's, you know, until, that's a paraphrase Frank Zappa, early, early days, uh, until yoga entered into the mainstream, as, as it has in recent years, uh, it was amazing how many people never really experienced relaxation in their lives. Thinking that if they're watching TV, they're relaxing. If they're watching a football game, that's relaxing. Well, it may be more relaxation or more relaxing than being yelled at by your boss on the job or, you know, working at a steel mill. But physiologically, that is not even in the ballpark of relaxation. Thank you for listening to our Soundings podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this program. To learn more about our music, guided meditations and videos, please visit our website and blog at soundings.com. Peace through music blessings.